Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. What Advent means. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the meaning of Advent. We've already said that Advent means coming or appearing. And we've already mentioned that we live between the two comings, the two Advents. Christ has come. He is coming again. And what are the themes of Advent? Hope, peace, joy, and love. And today we want to unpack this idea that Advent means love, that Christ's coming means peace. As we look at the book of Isaiah, we see the prophet speaking about the Messiah that was to come at the first Advent. This prophet Isaiah says this, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so the the Jewish people were looking forward to the coming of their Messiah, this one who would bring peace. And when the angel declared to the shepherds that this Christ had indeed come at the first coming, he says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Yet where is this peace? Where is this peace that the coming of Christ promises? As we look around us today, as we watch the news, we don't see peace. Indeed, we see war everywhere we look. The Israel-Hamas war that began uh, with the Hamas terrorist attack in Israel, killing, raping, kidnapping civilians on October 7th. It's now two months in and the, the war still goes on. There is suffering on both sides especially among children and widows and older people. It's always true, war always brings suffering to both sides. No one ever really wins. The Ukraine-Russia war has entered its 654th day of conflict. Death and destruction continue. The U.S. is entangled in this war. Where will it end? How will it continue? No one knows. War always begets more war. Even in our own country, the cultural divide has grown so great that our pledge to be one God, to be one nation under God, indivisible, sounds more and more hollow. Indeed, as the cultural divide continues on most important matters, we are not an undivided nation, but we are a divided people. As the prophet Jeremiah said when people in Israel were declaring peace, peace, he said, peace, peace, there is no peace. Indeed, where is the peace? What's the problem? Why is there no peace, this peace that the advent of Christ was to bring? Perhaps James gives us an insight. Here's what he says. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You see, the reason that humanity is at war is because we are at war in our own hearts. And there will be no peace until... The heart is changed. How do we really find peace one heart at a time? There must be heart change. There must be peace in our hearts before there can ever be peace in this world. Indeed, as we think about our own hearts today, and I ask you to do that, that's what the Advent season should really be about. It should be a time of of pulling back for a moment 
and, and thinking for a moment, how am I doing with God? Uh, this is something I might get you to do right now. Look at your bulletin and, and look at that part where it talks about a peace inventory. And I want to ask you some questions under four categories. And on a scale of one to five, just kind of notch what you think you are. A one would be, yeah, I'm not at peace at all in this category. Or a five would be, I'm always at peace here. And something in between, as you would regard it. So let's just take this peace inventory for a second. First of all, with God. Here are some questions to consider. Do you have peace of mind with God? Or is your mind filled with a jumble of unforgiveness, unresolved plans, and frustrating disappointments? As you think about your will and your plans, would you say that your plans are in alignment with God's? Or are you wanting your own way? How are you doing at peace with God? Then peace with others. Are your, or excuse me, peace with self. How are you doing uh, at your inner feelings of peace? How, how's your heart doing on the inside? Let me just ask you some questions to think about that. Are you free from smoldering anger? Are you free from nagging fears, frustrations, envy? And then think about your body. Is your body at peace? Are you biting your nails, wringing your hands? Uh, are you strained by stress? Uh, do you have a churning stomach, tight muscles, high blood pressure? Are you at peace? in yourself? Are you at peace within? Do you have a sense of calmness in your soul? And then peace with others. Since relationships with people have so much to do with how we experience peace, how are you doing with others? Do you have unforgiveness towards someone? Are you uh, angry towards someone and it's unresolved? Is there someone in your life that you've said, I'll never be able to forgive that person? Is there peace with others in your life today? What about circumstances? What about the storms around us? Uh, are, is, are you at peace in your finances? Peace in your possessions? Peace in uh, your neighborhood? At the workplace? Uh, in your circumstances? With your health? Maybe someone's having a surgery this coming week or sometime at the beginning of the year. Or maybe the doctor's told you something difficult you're getting older or something like that. How are you doing with having peace and contentment in the midst of your circumstances? May I say to you that there's really only one true source for peace. And His peace is more than the world's peace, which is really only a cessation of hostility. Because His peace is shalom, which is a sense of happy, joyful contentment, a sense that all things are well and all things will be well. Because you see, peace is not a place. Peace is a person. And his name is Jesus. And it's this person, Jesus, who offers true peace. And on the night before he was betrayed, the night before his crucifixion at the Last Supper, in the book of John, John chapter 13 through 17, which is often referred to, as the farewell discourse of Jesus, his last words to his disciples. In John chapter 14, verses 27 and 28, he begins to talk to them about this peace that he would give them. And I believe we can have that peace that Christ offers. And as we look at the text today, I think we'll see three wonderful gifts that are given that emerge out of receiving this peace that we can have in Christ. So let's look at the text, just two verses this morning. 
for us to unpack together. John chapter 14, verse 27 and 28. This is Jesus speaking. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. This is God's Word. We're looking for three wonderful gifts that the peace of Christ bestows upon us. Here's the first. The peace that Christ gives calms our troubled hearts. Calms our troubled hearts. Hearts. Do you see that in verse 27? Do you see the word peace? It's there twice. If you're taking notes, circle the word peace. He calls it my peace. He says, I, peace I give to you, my peace. Not as the world gives, he gives my... This is a unique brand of peace. This is the peace of Christ. There's no other like it. This is the, the person of Christ that he offers. And he offers it to calm our troubled hearts. The word peace in the Greek is of interest. It's Irene. If your name is Irene, you got it from the Greek word for peace. And in the New Testament, that's the Greek word. In the Old Testament, it occurs 250 times, is another word. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. Have you heard this word? And so Irene in the New Testament is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom. Uh, Jesus probably said when he says peace, I leave with you my peace I give to you. Because he was Jewish, he probably said, Shalom, I leave with you. My shalom. This word shalom is of interest because it's so prevalent. It was so prevalent that they used it as a greeting. And they still do to this day. If you're in in, uh, Israel today and you're talking to a Jewish person, they will greet you with shalom. And so it's, it's, a, it's a greeting that says, peace unto you. And it's more than that. It's, it's got this idea of may you be healthy and prosperous. And it's a wish of, of health and wholeness and prosperity. Uh, it's been carried into the Arabic so that throughout the Middle East you'll hear the greeting of salam, salam. You can go even to places like Indonesia, which I've visited, and you learn that it's even there. Uh, and so in a morning like this, if I were greeting you in Indonesian, I would say salamat pagi, which means peace in the morning or good morning. And so that word shalom, so important in the scripture, but it's more than a greeting. It's more than an expression of health and well-being. It means harmony, security, safety, prosperity. And for the believer, it's that tranquil state of being in Christ and Christ in you where you know all things are right with you and God. And all things are well and all things will be well because he has this peace that he offers, that he gives. The word give has the idea of a gift. And when Jesus gives a gift, he has a no-return policy. Here's what his giving is like. When he gives a gift, he gives it of the highest quality, and it lasts forever. It has an eternal quality. When he gives, he gives it completely to you. He gives us this peace. He says, it's my peace. Not as the world gives. The, The world gives a temporary peace, a little break in the hostilities before the next war breaks out. And, and it's always of a lesser quality. It doesn't follow us everywhere we go. It's just based on circumstances. But the peace of Christ, well, it's based on the person of Christ. 
And the peace of Christ is always present in the person who has Christ living within them. The word troubled, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. The word trouble in, in the, the Greek New Testament really has the idea of, of, of an inward commotion, like a, like a boiling pot, just filled with anxiety and troubled, uh, restless, distressed, agitated, like a storm at sea, rocking back and forth. He says to you and to me this morning, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. His peace calms our troubled hearts. When he speaks of the heart, he's not talking about this one that beats in your chest. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's speaking of the center of the self. It's that place, it's the seat of the intellect, of the emotion, and of the will. It's the driver's seat of your life. When he speaks of the heart, he says, at the very center of your being, I know you're troubled, but let not your hearts be troubled. I'm giving you my peace. But we have a problem. There's, there's a resistance in our hearts to his peace. This problem is because there's war in our hearts. First of all, towards God. It says in the book of Romans chapter 8, the mind ruled by the power of sin is at war with God. And so we want what we want rather than what God wants. And so our, our hearts are at war with God. Our thinking is at war with God. That's a problem. It's hard to have peace if you're at war with God. And then there's that second problem, and I mentioned it earlier. James talks about it. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? So because you're at war with God, you're not being what God made you to be, so you're at war with yourself. And as soon as you go after something, that man, I really want this, and you fight for it, you do everything, you run over people to get it, then you get it, and you go, you know what, that didn't work out the way I was hoping. It didn't feel like I thought it would. And then you start thinking about the next thing, and that's the, that's the heart that's troubled. It's at war with itself. That's a problem that every human being has apart from God. We all have troubled hearts at war with God and war with ourselves. What's the solution? Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. What has He done for us? He died on the cross for our sins. He was raised on the third day and He lives today. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father and He stands there as an intercessor for us. That's what He's done for us. When we place our faith in that, we place our faith that Jesus died for our sins, that He's risen and lives today, and we confess Him as our Lord and Savior, when we do that, we are no longer at war with God. There's peace. And then the peace within ourselves begins to settle in. And because now our wills are not arguing against God, and our wills become more in alignment with God's purpose for our lives, and we start sensing this sense of a holy kind of quiet contentment. So first of all, in order to have the quieting of the storm in our heart, of this troubled, agitated heart, is to, first of all, wave the surrender flag and say, I surrender, God. I, I don't want to be in charge anymore. I'm putting Jesus in charge of my life. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 4? 
Jesus had been ministering. He was really tired. And I really like this about Jesus. He liked going out on a boat. He liked being out on the sea, the Sea of Galilee. And so he had these professional fishermen like Peter, James, and John. These guys all grew up fishing on this Sea of Galilee. But on this particular day, Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat, had his head probably had wound up some netting there to make a pillow. He was conked out, man. He was wore out from all the ministry. And, and suddenly this terrible storm comes up. You know it was bad because it scared the professional fishermen. And they probably tried everything. They probably like bailing water out. They pulled the sails down. They're like, oh, man. And they couldn't get to shore. And so they cry out, Rabbi, teacher, don't you care we're about to die? He's just like sawing logs in the, in the boat. And they're all freaking out. You ever do that? You ever have a storm in your life? You go, God, where are you? Don't you care about me? Where are you? And if you have him in your life, he's right there. He's waiting for you to actually cry out to him. You've been trying to do it yourself. If you'll admit it, you've been bailing hard as you can. You've been pulling the sails in. You've been doing everything that you know to do. And even if it's something you're an expert at, sometimes it throws you adrift. And he, he raises up. And he says, peace, be still. And immediately, the storm is calmed. The waves become, the sea becomes like glass. A holy hush comes over the storm and the blue sky and the sun emerge. And suddenly, these disciples that were so fearful of that which was outside the boat, the book of Mark says, now they were afraid of the one inside the boat. And they said, who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? He's Jesus, because peace is a person. Peace is the person of Jesus Christ. You want peace in your heart to, to calm your troubled soul? Who is this man who can calm this troubled heart? Well, it's Jesus. That's Jesus. Have you ever given your life to Him? Have you trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? Have you put the war in your heart at peace with God and within yourself. So this is inner peace. He calms our troubled hearts. Here's the second wonderful gift that his peace gives. It eases our fearful thoughts. It eases our fearful thoughts. Remember, I told you that the heart is not only uh, uh, the emotions and the will, but it's also the intellect, the mind. And so now we're working that further out. We see in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Neither let them be afraid. Don't let your hearts fear. Let not your hearts be afraid. This is the second wonderful gift that Jesus puts our fears at rest. He eases our fears. We're usually afraid of those things that are outside of our control. We have an illusion that we have some things under our control. As you get older, you start realizing it was an illusion all the time. There's really nothing under your control. You think there is. And we think we can take the place of God. That's what it means if you've tried to put things under your control. You're trying to take God's place. But here, uh, he says, don't be afraid. Uh, don't let your heart 
uh, be afraid. Uh, usually when you're reading the word fear or afraid in the Greek New Testament, it's got this Greek word phobos underneath, which is where we get the word phobia. And I assumed when I started studying, that's the word I would find when I looked in my Greek New Testament. But it wasn't. It was a different Greek word. Uh, not that one. It's a particular Greek word that's always taken in the negative sense. It has more the idea of a kind of a cowardly fear. A kind of fear that fills the mind so that the person becomes uh, destabilized and unable uh, to move forward. Jesus is basically saying this kind of fear has no business taking up space in our minds, believer. He goes, you shouldn't be fearing. You know those stories I told you at the top of the, of the message, right? You shouldn't be fearing what's happening in the Middle East or what's happening in Europe and Ukraine and Russia, what's happening in the streets of the United States. These are external things. You're not in control of them anyway, but God is. And, and he says, don't let your mind, don't let your thoughts be filled with fear. It will rob you of the peace of Christ. And, and the peace of Christ says this to me, that I am in the hand of God. I am His and He is mine. And nothing can touch me unless it first passes through His fingers. I am well. All things are well. And all things will be well. This is the peace of Christ that eases our fearful thoughts. But how do we obey this? Do we just look at our hearts and go, stop being afraid? The more we tell ourselves to stop being afraid, often we're focused on being afraid. <laughs> it's very rarely helpful to focus on your fears. Instead, the Scripture says to focus on the Lord. Look what Isaiah advises. He says, you keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. He doesn't say, focus on your fears. He says, let your mind be stayed on the Lord. And then you'll have this perfect peace. Oh, that's a different quality. It's not the kind of peace the world offers. It's perfect peace. How do we do this? How do we work this out? Well, focus on the Lord. And, and what else? What else would be helpful? Well, Paul gives help in Philippians chapter 4. He helps us with our worries, because worries are really fears that we're talking to ourselves about. Because what is worry? It's talking to yourself. What are we going to do about this? I don't know. I, I think we ought to do this. I'm not sure. And we stayed up all night just talking to ourselves inside our head. Unless you're in, sometimes if you're like in the shower, I don't know if you do this, you say it out loud while you're shampooing your hair. Like, I don't know what we're going to do today. It's going to be, and, and then what's really troubling is sometimes you answer yourself out loud. Right? But that's what worry is. Worry is self-talk. It's, it's anxious self-talk. And here's what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Turn your worries into prayers. Take, you know what worry is? It's talking to yourself. You know what prayer is? It's talking to God. Take the same amount of energy to talk to yourself as it does to talk to God. So stop worrying and start praying. Set your mind on the Lord and turn your worries into prayers and watch the perfect peace that transcends all understanding wash over your hearts and your minds. 
He eases our, our fearful thoughts. And you can let his peace rule. It says in Colossians chapter 3, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called uh, in one body and be thankful. Let it rule. That's an unusual language. Let, let peace rule. Let peace like rule. It, it, the, the word here has the idea of like an umpire. Like let, let peace umpire your heart. Let, let peace guard your heart. The Pax Romana, which was the centuries of peace that was inaugurated by the, the, the Roman Caesar Augustus, was won by the sword. But the peace of Jesus is of a different sort. It was won by his sacrifice on the cross. It was won by his love. And his peace is not a temporary peace. His peace is based on a person because Christ's peace is based on Jesus. And this peace says, like an umpire, when something is going out of sorts in your life and you start to look at it and you start to be afraid, his peace will overrule and say, that's out of bounds. You don't need to be worried about that. That over there belongs to me. That's out of bounds for you. And he umpires your heart. It rules your heart. It governs. His peace governs. Oh, that's coming your way. Don't swing at that. That's a ball. <laughs> that's, that's outside the strike zone. And, and so he begins to umpire your heart so that peace is sustained. Let the peace of Christ govern, rule, umpire your heart. Peace is a person. It's the person of Jesus Christ. Let Christ speak to you and let his peace remain. Here's number three. Here's the third wonderful gift. We've said that he calms our troubled hearts. He eases our fear, fearful thoughts. And then finally, he makes our hearts rejoice. He makes our hearts rejoice. We're at verse 28 now. And, he, and he, he says, you heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. This is, he's referring to earlier in chapter 14 where he's been talking to the disciples for a little while. And, and he's really just explaining right there that and this is where we are too. It, right here in this one verse is where we are. We're between he has come and he is coming. He, says, he goes, I'm about to leave you, but I will come to you. He's explaining something to him. He's already come, but he's going to leave and go to the Father, and then he's going to come again. Right here we see the, the two advents in view. He has come, he's leaving, but he's coming again. Okay, That's what he's talking about in verse 28. And he's referring back to the earlier part of the chapter. He's reminding of that. And he's saying, uh, I've already said this to you, but you've been all troubled and worked up about it. And he says, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced. You would have rejoiced when I told you that I have to leave and go to the Father and that I'm going to come again, but instead you got all troubled and fearful. You remember how he started, uh, if you go back to chapter 14, verse 1, he goes, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am, there I may be also. And then Thomas goes, uh, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. And he goes, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And Philip goes, uh, we've never seen the Father. Would you show us the Father? He goes, Philip, I've been with you this whole time. You don't know that he that has seen me has seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And then Judas raises his hand, and he told John, now, John, when you, when you write about me, include not Iscariot, okay? So if you read John chapter 14, it says, Judas, 
not Iscariot. Right? I don't blame him. I'd want that put in there too. He goes, so Judas, not Iscariot. He says, yeah, but you, what's this part about you saying that when you appear again that, the, that you'll not manifest yourself before the world, that we'll see you but the world won't see you? How's that working out? And Jesus is like, okay, so I'm, I've got to leave so I can send you the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's going to live in you and the world won't know about that but the world will see. And the world, when I reappear from resurrection, the world won't see me at that time but you'll see. Okay, and so that's where we're at in the chapter. And so here the, here the disciples have been. It's been like this, popcorn. They're like, they're all worked up. We don't know what's going on. You're going to leave us? And he goes, if you really love me, you'd be happy. Because I've been telling you, I've got to go to the cross. I've got to, I've got to pay for your sins. If you really love me, you would embrace the purpose I have. But not only that, just think of it like this. Maybe you've had a friend or a loved one uh, that's not from this area, but they moved here and you got really close to them. And then, and then she, she gets pregnant. She's about to have a baby. And as soon as that starts happening, she starts wanting to move back to her mama and daddy's house, which is in another state, right? And so because I, I'm going to need some help with this first grandbaby, I need to be near the grandparents. And so you don't want her to leave. And so you say to her, I don't want you to leave. I, I love you. I want you to stay. And she says to you, if you really love me, you'd know how bad I need to go back to my mom and dad. If you really love me, you'd understand I need to go be with my mom and dad. Because the feelings you're having is you want me to be right here. And so Jesus is trying to explain to him, if you really love me, you'd know I'm going back to my father. And it'll be better for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to live in you. And it's the Spirit of Christ that's going to be with you all the time. So I'll never really leave you or, nor forsake you. And then I'm going to come again. And when I do, I'm going to accept you as my own. And I'm preparing a place for you. And they're just like going over their head, going over their head, going over their head. He goes, you should be in a state of rejoicing. And that's where we should be. Because peace and joy always go together. Really, you can't have joy if you're not at peace. Have you ever noticed that? If you're all troubled and fearful, there's no joy. Joy is like the, 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 the light in your dash that says, if it comes on and it says you've got joy, then you're already at peace. But if it flashes red, peace is already gone. He said, you should be rejoicing right now because even though I'm leaving, I'm going to the Father on your behalf and I'm coming again. So rejoice. In between the two comings, he says to us as well today, I'm going to the Father on your behalf. In John chapter 16, he says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. There will be trouble in this world, but don't focus on that. Focus on the one who has overcome the trouble. Because peace is not a place Peace is a person. Peace is the person of Jesus Christ. Would you trust Him today? Peace and joy go together. If you want joy, you must have peace. As the Apostle Paul wrote, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Oh, they go together. Advent means peace. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you first of all for that person that's here today and their hearts are troubled. And they're troubled and fearful because their heart is still not right with you. Lord, I pray for that person right now. And maybe you're in this room, maybe you're in the next room watching or watching at home online. 
But wherever you are, I know the Lord's dealing with you. He's applying His Word to your heart right now. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let your heart be afraid. Right now, you can deal with that. You know, prayer is just expressing your faith in God. Would you pray with me right now, right where you are? Pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. My heart is troubled. I feel far from you today, but I want to come near. I believe you died on the cross for me, that you were raised from the grave, and that you live today. I believe that. I place my faith in that reality. Lord, come and live in me. I invite you now to be my Lord and Savior and forgive me of my sins. If you're praying that prayer of faith believing, He will save you and He will give you the peace that passes understanding. Others are here today, and you're a follower of Jesus. You have Jesus in your life, but you've been focused on outer things. You've taken your eyes off of Him for a, for a season. It's caused you to feel troubled. It's caused you to feel fear. It's stolen your joy. Would you pray right now with me, sweet believer, dear believer, right now, just pray, Lord, forgive me. I've taken my eyes off of you, Jesus, during this season. I've been focusing on the storm, on my fears. I've been focusing on my discouragement. But now, Lord, I want to focus on you. I want to stay my mind on you. I'm turning my worries into prayers, Lord. Would you give me that peace that passes all understanding? And we pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.